Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 302 on Tuesday, the 28th of January, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, where we won't be using the words way, motor, or smart, instead we'll be talking about how unbelievably there is still fallout from Dieselgate. We wonder Great. if people will be in for a shock if they ice an electric charging bay. And we talk about some Land Rovers that are either small or very far away. In for a shock? What are they going to do? Booby trap them? Well, I just, it's charging bay, shock. You know, you've got to use all the puns. We still have to use all the puns, don't we? It's le- we're legally obliged. It's true. But first, Dieselgate, um, amazingly. Uh, but this time it's in Canada. And Volkswagen have pleaded guilty to a multitude of counts of diesel emission violations. And they are going to be fined in the region of $196.5 million. I presume that's US dollars, not Canadian dollars. Uh, in the automotive oh, it say, it? news Europe. Yeah, I think they would say it would have CA after it if it was Canadian. Yeah, yeah. So they were charged in December, importing nearly 128,000 vehicles, which violated their emission standards. They had 60 counts of breaching the Canadian Environmental Protection Act and providing misleading information. Oops. Mm. Last month, they proposed a plea resolution, is the quote here, but there was no details disclosed. Added to that, last week, Poland's consumer watchdog, the UOKIK, <laughs> or however you're meant to pronounce that, said it was fining Volkswagen more than 31.4 million US dollars for misleading customers about vehicle emissions. So it's not been a great little time for the old bean counters in Volkswagen having to add more onto the column of Dieselgate. Uh, Another few dollars and Zlotties um, talked up against all uh, all of that money that they put aside a couple of years ago. Yep. They've got to be... I need to go back and run through it all if I get time, but I, I've got a suspicion they're in the region of 31, 32 billion now with this. Yeah, it's just, which is nonsense numbers, really. It's almost impossible. There's to, too many noughts on the back of that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, uh, we'll have to be 10 to the power of yes. uh, before very long. Anyway, take us to some breaking news. This is breaking news. It's not even new. It was only announced this afternoon. Uh, and that's that uh, Luca De Meo, has been appointed as the CEO of Renault SA and chairman of Renault SAS. I can't remember what SAS is. Effective from July the 1st, 2020. He was previously the president of SEAT. So I imagine he's got a fun six months of um, getting his garden in tip-top shape here. Yes. The current interim chief executive officer, Clotilde Delbois, uh, will continue to to act as CEO until Mr. DeMeo takes over. She's going to be deputy chief executive then, isn't she? Yes, she will be. Yes. Yep. Uh, which is what she was always meant to be, I believe. Yes. If I remember yeah, rightly. This yeah. was, that this that was, came in right from the start. Yeah, this was only an interim to fill the void. It was, it was never, oh, but then she'll get promoted. Mm-hmm. Well, that was never the expectation. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, Luca de Mayo had joined Volkswagen Group in 2009, where he was a marketing director, served as chairman of the executive committee of SEAT from 1st November 2015 until January 2020, and 
is, stroke was, I assume it's was now, a member of the supervisory boards of Ducati and Lamborghini and chairman of the board of directors of Volkswagen Italy. Do you think he's done a particularly fantastic job at Seat? Um, I, I think the UK market is perhaps not the one to use it as an example, though, because no. we don't seem to get Seat here. If if we can believe Volkswagen get what Seat are meant to be. Well, that is always the trouble with Seat. Is it's very hard to work out what Seat's meant to be because the goalposts seem to be changed for them on a regular basis. It's whether, yeah. are they slightly budget, but not quite as budget as Skoda? Are they slightly more budget than Skoda? Are they meant to be sporty? Who mm. remembers how many iterations of the Seat Salsa there have been over the years? <laughs> so, yeah, it's tricky. You know, do they make MPVs at one point? That's that's all they did. And now they make um, they make golf size. Well, I don't know. They make rebadged SUVs now, isn't it? As as the rest of the Volkswagen brand does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where that's like a sort of Hyundai-like face. but he's, he's taken on a heck of a job, though. Because he has Nissan taken are on one apparently heck of a flexing their muscle again and want Renault to remove, uh, to reduce how much of a stake they have in them and all the rest of it. So mm. it, it, this is, it's not a a calm and relaxed time to be taking on this position. This is a tough job to be taking on right at the minute. Yeah. But let's see. Nothing we can yeah. do but wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, take us to Northern Ireland, though. Bit of a bit of a contrast to uh, to France and Spain. Yeah, all the MOTs in Northern Ireland have been suspended with immediate effect. There is a problem. So, unlike uh, the rest of the UK, where there are many many small independent MOT centres in Northern Ireland, the MOT centres are are centralised. So they are government run MOT centres that you take your car to. The trouble is they've had to close all of these because the lifts, the identical lifts that they use in them, 48 out of 55 of them are cracking, as in metal fatigue cracks. That's not very good. If anybody's, you know, in any doubt whatsoever about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or an all right thing or ooh, it's very much in the ooh stage. There'll still be tests on heavy goods vehicles and buses. There'll still be tests on taxis because the regulation's different. And there'll still be tests on vehicles that are turning four years old. Everything else at the minute is being given an extension on its existing MOT. The reason for the just turning four years old one, of course, is that is that those cars don't have an MOT, so they don't have anything that you can extend Right, so you yeah, still yeah. got to have their first MOT. Uh, until they get all this sorted out, then obviously I assume there's going to be a huge backlog. It'd be interesting to know how old these lifts are, because they've all clearly been put in at the same time. It's like a job lot. Hmm. How old they are, because uh, the, the supplier couldn't give them sufficient assurance <laughs> that the repairs were going to be suitable. <laughs> that That's quite bad. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh dear! I bet if yeah. you if you run a car lift supply or import company into Northern Ireland, you're going to be doing rather well shortly. <laughs> um, you could be. Yeah, I don't know. Let's. I don't know. This is a, such a weird one. Uh, let's see what happens. It only really all happened last night, uh, and then they were cancelling all today. So I imagine that this will be fixed with the utmost haste somehow. Yes, I, I reckon people are working very hard to rectify the situation. Yeah, yeah, tough one. 
Right, I'm going to take us to emissions then. We shall we shall oh. leave broken lifts, but we will go back to emissions. And this time, it is the news that uh, FCA's Jeep Grand Cherokee and Suzuki's Vitara, both of them are the diesel versions, sorry, have broken emission rules and must be fixed or face a ban on sale across Europe because the Dutch Road Authority, which is the RDW, um, have mm-hmm. found that they used prohibited emission strategies is the quoted bit of text in Automotive News Europe's article that we're linking to in the show notes. That means what they basically did is, in the test, they had a lower emission than they did on the road because they were set to test conditions, Hmm. which, as we know, they do not like anymore. But again, if you set a test, companies will pass a test. (laughs) Well, that's it. That's exactly it. It's, it's, It's passing exams. Yep. Uh, so far, Jeep has got a software fix, and they've been ordered to recall all across Europe and fix that. But Suzuki hasn't found a solution yet. So they have got to work very quickly. Otherwise, they are going to have their European type approval removed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not not so good. And what the depressing thing is, is those people who said right back at the start of Dieselgate, Oh, they're all at it, so you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're not. But then you you get little drips and drops. You know, Mercedes have been done for it, BMW have been done for it, 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 it for emission issues, shall we say? And you sort of going, oh God, how many of them have been? But it's different from what Dieselgate started with, because Dieselgate yeah. started with with defeat devices in the US, which were illegal, which were explicitly illegal as opposed to running with a preference for test conditions. Yeah. Which, strictly speaking, hasn't actually necessarily been illegal. It's not been ethical, but it's not always been illegal. Yeah. In all cases. No, the new the new regs make that clear, though, don't they? That you, you, they can't. They do. They are much, much clearer. Much, much clearer. Yeah. Okay, so a few more emissions issues for Suzuki. This time, peculiar to the UK, uh, and it's to do with well it's not really peculiar to the uk it's peculiar to the whole of europe and it's to do with average co2 emissions across the fleet yep the suzuki jimny has a 1.5 liter four-cylinder petrol engine and in automatic form it produces 170 grams per kilometer of co2 which is pretty high Mm. it is high it's on a par with many sports saloons, for example. Manual Jimny is 154 grams per kilometer. It's still pretty high. The challenge is that across Europe, then manufacturers have to average 95 grams per kilometer on average. I've just used the word average about six times. I'm so sorry. Across their EU fleet. Yep. Now, the challenge is that the Jimny is the model of Suzuki that everyone really wants, and people are less likely to buy a, well, the Baleno and the Celeriac have been taken off sale, uh, are less likely to buy a Swift uh, or a Vitara (laughs) than they are to buy a Jimny. So what's happened is the popularity of the Jimny has been skewing the fleet CO2. And if you're over those 95 grams per kilometre, is it at the end of this year? Uh, Yes. 
So, so throughout the year, then the fines are ridiculously nuts. Okay, the fines are really, really high, and Suzuki in Europe just doesn't make that much money. So it's having to limit the supplies. And they've had a short space of time to adjust their fleet. Yes. Relative, particularly for car manufacturers, they've had quite a short time scale in which to adjust to this, which is where part of the theory, I won't go as far as to say conspiracy theory, but theory that was put out last year about some manufacturers are holding back hybrids and mm. electrified vehicles so that they've got a big stock to pass on this year to keep their to keep their uh, average CO2 down. Yeah. That's where that sort of idea came from. But uh-huh. I also saw a lot of people got the wrong end of the stick with this story. Oh, because- lots of people did, because they all started saying, well, they're going to stop selling the chimney, and it's not. It's just the supply is going to be limited. Yeah, well, there was that side of things. But the other thing was as well as people going, oh, well, you can have a massive two and a half ton SUV and that's fine. And then you can't have this little thing. That's just ridiculous. It's like, no, you see, you're clearly not understanding average fleet. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what they're missing. Yeah, Yeah, because because a lot of those manufacturers have a much wider range of vehicles and more money and they have been able to invest in hybrid and electric technology. So it lessens the impact. They'll have 15, 20 different model ranges. Yeah. Filling every single flipping niche. And the challenge that Suzuki has is they sell like three different types of vehicle. Yeah. And, and so it's blooming tricky for these kind of the sort of larger tiddlers, if you don't, if, if they can put it that way. Yeah, they're way. not quite niche. They're a bit more than niche. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Basically, it may well be possible to buy larger numbers of the Jimny in a commercial vehicle uh, format or missing its back seats, as it's also known, because then it won't be covered by the passenger car fleet CO2 average rules. Yeah. So you may well find that there is a there is a, a, a two seat option is available which by the way Suzuki have done that in the past because way way back in the mid 80s uh we had a, we bought an SJ410 and it was whilst it had a hard top on it with windows and it had back seats it was actually a commercial one that they then fitted the back seats to mm, yeah D145 ESL there you go oh good god but um it's moving on from that your memory show off. Uh, yeah. I think Suzuki were have been uniquely positioned to fall foul of this the quickest. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Just because of their heritage with little off-roady things. Yeah. But I think yeah. there may be one or two others that possibly get a bit stung like this as well over the year. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see if people adjust or if companies adjust their supply or availability of models as the year goes on and they start doing projections going, oh, hang on, <laughs> right. The V8s are off are off limits right now or something like oh, that. Oh, oh, whoops, yes, they're not available just at the moment. Yes, we're, we're having yes. a run on two litres. <laughs> yes. Can't get the supply. <laughs> Sp- speaking of companies which might end up having to do that, Andrew, Mm. JLR and uh, redundancies at Halewood. Yes. Currently, Halewood in Merseyside 
have a three shift operation, but it's going to move to two shift. And that's going to affect around 500 members of staff. They're going to be offered what has been described as enhanced voluntary redundancy by uh, Jaguar Land Rover. And this is all part of their, their really massive cost-cutting program that they're in the midst of going through. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Project Charge, uh, according to this yeah. uh, auto car article. If it's if it's voluntary, then well, at the minute they're voluntary, which presumably enough people will take this up. So that's slightly better for the members of staff who take that rather than forced voluntary, as in, sorry, you've all just got to go. There's <laughs> off off you pop type thing. Uh, so I was I was speaking to someone uh, recently who who's familiar with JLR and and they were saying that well yeah the the challenge here is is a they have opened another uh, there is a new paint shop elsewhere which has been opened within JLR and the other thing is that this happens this is what this is something which actually happens quite a lot within the automotive industry that you know they do take on these people and then they also then let them go again. And then they take them on again. Then they let them go again, just depending on demand and the strategy and the need. Yep. said, so this is not as big as the numbers make it sound. And to be honest, very often employees in these positions are expecting this anyway. Yes. To come and go, just because it's the nature of the automotive industry and the nature of the demand curves for for cars yeah any yeah. car then this is not not jlr specific but but of any any vehicle like that because so. because at hale would they deal with the evoke and the discovery sport and there's mm-hmm. supposed to be the next discovery sport testing at the minute or there's been pictures when claimed that it was discovery sport although it looked like a range rover which i think sniff petrol pointed out quite quite clearly pointed out looked very much like mm. a range rover rather than a discovery sport unless there's been a massive change in design language <laughs> um i'm not going to comment on that given my thoughts on on land rover design really yes range rover okay, design okay well well tell us about something a bit more positive and good and fast rockets yes yeah um bloodhound Bloodhound is back in the UK. It's returned from his uh, its its little little busman's holiday there to to South Africa, and of course, number one is these guys need sponsors. Everyone, come on! They've shown what it can do so far. Uh, we need to try and make spread the word and make sure that big companies get involved again. Uh, but all of the testing that they did in South Africa was all about the the jet engine, the first part of its propulsion system. Yep. Uh, so as the jet engine from a Eurofighter as the warm up. Uh, but the plan is well, it is, <laughs> it is. It's, I know it is, but that never stops sounding ridiculous, does it? <laughs> yeah. And these days it has electric motors. Well, next time around it's going to have electric motors. Uh, instead of the supercharged Jaguar V8s to act as fuel pumps, uh, yeah. which it had before. So they're trying to be a little bit more ecological about this. Whenever they designed it, they designed it to be a little bit modular because they didn't know what was going to have come along uh, by the time that they were finished. But NAMO, the Norwegian National Ammunitions Company, believe it or not, who have always been going to supply the ruddy great rocket, technical terms there <laughs> yes that goes in the back of this 
uh, what they've done is they've actually come up with a essentially a zero emissions rocket. Uh, it'll be concentrated hydrogen peroxide that will produce a ridiculous amount of thrust at the back, and all that will be emitted locally is water and oxygen. The plan is that the is the Bloodhound should cross 800 miles an hour, and it should, hopefully will do that if they can get the the sponsors and the funding to get back out to South Africa again in the third quarter of 2021. It's really cool. It's a rocket that is that already exists, and the it's normally used for launching small satellites into space. It's not. It's going to go really, really fast. Mm. Well, here's the question, though. If they can make the Bloodhound work this way, do you think that they're going to use that for conventional launching satellites into space then because it um, seems that you know because it's saying here it decomposes and into or splits apart into superheated steam and oxygen so it mm-hmm. that seems like you know quite a good thing if we're going to if we're going to need which we do need something to be thrust into the skies with as much power as possible if we can do it that way rather than burning fuel Mm-hmm. conventional fuel and obviously the nasties that come from that i honestly don't this know might, this it, might be one of those unintended positive consequences yes it might be that it's tricky to once you've started this going it might be quite tricky to stop it it might lack the fine tuning which is required for larger payloads mm, okay uh, it's also i think a one-off as opposed to some of the the SpaceX stuff and its ability to land and look just like CGI, which it isn't, by the way. I'm not even inferring it is. It just it looks. Whenever yeah. it happens successfully, it does look like something out of a movie. And I think that that's, that's probably going to be the challenge. It's not particularly reusable. Hmm. But I don't know. I only know all about NAMO. Okay. No, it's just a, it, it's a, it, it's, it reminded me when I was speaking uh, for rear view that there are in projects like this, there are so many bits of technology that come along that nobody knew could come along because you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I, and this is pop. That's possibly one of those, one of those moments. So it'd be mm-hmm. again, another reason why to support bloodhound if you can in, in any ways, whether you, you run a company or not, or just personally, but we need to support these sort of projects because they do actually move things forward for, for the human race. Yes. Yeah, they, they do. They really do. It's, it's just, it's an excuse to try stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I am going to take us away from South Africa and throw us into Lancashire. Lucky old us. Mm-hmm. And this is the news that Lancashire Council, not Lancashire City Council, as the Express, whose article we are looking at, are going to bring in um, or are proposing to bring in the a new law that only electric vehicles that are charging can use EV charging bays. So if a bay is iced, that person will get a ticket. If an electric vehicle parks in there and doesn't bother charging or has filled up and is still sat there for whatever the prescribed time is, they will be charged for that or get a ticket for that. Sorry, of course, hmm. the charging. There were a few other things that, that they well, were Well, I think this is right, by the way. 
Yes, I, I absolutely do. And, I, and I, actually, many of the charging companies already do this. If your car, if you've been in a in a charging bay for too long with some companies, then you get a punitive fee. Well, that wasn't there one at um, the Eden Project. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that was that, one that of the. We uh, couldn't get to work. Uh, that's because it was an electric highway one, Andrew. Yes, but I think it was that was also of the day that we. That was the day having, of awfulness. That that was the, the, the yes, that was the worst day of the trip. Um, yeah. <laughs> that that was the we're never going to do this day. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but in Lancashire now, because they've teamed up with companies like Polar BP Charge Master, they have a lot more on-road parking ba- uh, charging bays, hmm. and we've got three in our town now. We've got two electric charging bays in our supermarket now as well. So we now have six uh, charging points in our town whereas four months ago five months ago we had one yeah which was impossible to get to yeah yeah that was behind a locked gate at the weekends (laughs) exactly so yeah Uh, so i I think that this is right this also will also stop the sometimes you get fev drivers who just kind of dangle a plug in the back and don't actually charge they just plug they just insert a plug yeah into the socket and then don't do anything. Yeah, which is not on. There's a certain certain models of car which do that. So the yes. drivers of certain models of car which do that. And so I, I'm completely in favour of this because they are yeah, charging think- bays. They're not parking bays. No. They're charging bays. Yeah, I think it's. And a great you idea. see that wording more and more now. Yeah. So I don't see that there's a big deal about this. We apologise, by the way, for the link to the Daily Express website. Yes. That is the only place that had the story. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but I, if if they do that, then I see that being wheeled out by other councils. Yes. And according to the Daily Express, it was, of course, um, the Duke of Edinburgh's fault. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to hand over to our Scottish correspondent now for the next article. <laughs> In the style of Scott Brownlee, Hello. Um, <laughs> yes, Glasgow uh, is, and we can, I kind of talked about this uh, the other week when I was on my own, but they are going to implement a 20 mile an hour speed limit across the majority of residential streets, uh, city centre and main shopping areas. The aim is to, to try and help that net carbon zero by 2030, uh, aim that I talked about the other week. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's the plan is for that to come into force. I'm just trying to see when the date is because I've forgotten and I'm sure there was one. No, can't see it. Uh, it's going to be the, – the, um, the plan is to go through statutory traffic regulation process and it should be fully implemented after four years. Uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be – there's currently 179 miles, which are 20 mile an hour, but with this it's going to be 870. Yeah. That, by the way, is not as bad as it sounds. If you're familiar with parts of Glasgow, then that makes a lot of sense. Glasgow has many... Honestly, the impact of that will be negligible, especially in places like the West End, where the roads are tightly enough packed with cars that you can't do 30 anyway. In fact, you can barely do 20 mm-hmm. safely. Places like uh, Garnet Hill and out towards Partick and stuff like that, that makes perfect sense. And that there are so many small streets there that the mileage adds up that the I not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's end of part one. It is. So that means it's the last time 
uh, for a while I am going to give you a guilt minute that reminds you all about our listener survey. Uh, many of you have filled it out and we really, really appreciate your feedback. It's, it's absolutely great. We're actually going to collate that. One of the reasons for saying end of January is so that we can, can collate that and, or read the collated versions and then decide what we're going to do about it. Yes. If you haven't completed the listener survey, if you could, that would be fantastic. If you go to motoringpodcast.com and click the button on the right-hand side of the homepage, then that would be brilliant. Uh, as I say, if you're one of the folk who've already completed it, then thank you so very much. Uh, just quickly remind you that if you wish to contribute financially, give a little every month to help cover our expenses here, then the Become a Patron button is right there on the homepage as well. And last but not least, a great way to support the show and to get something to show for it is to buy some sweet merch from the motoring podcast shop worth reminding you that upper tier patrons get a substantial discount on that if you go to motoringpodcast.com and then click on the shop button at the top there's another link which takes you to the appropriate teespring shop more merch coming once i get stuff from my head and into pixels and i'm getting there with that i've managed <laughs> to clear a lot of stuff uh, out of my head over the last 10 days or so so I, I will actually get a chance to focus on this thank you very much mm. no Formula E news whatsoever in the past week but there was the um, WRC went to Monte Carlo yep start the season as they always do uh, at Monte Carlo through the bit of snow bit of ice bit of melting ice as some unfortunately found out mm. um, and it resulted with Thierry Neuville winning his first ever Rally Monte Carlo which I didn't mm -hmm. realise he'd not won it before no but uh, he uh, won for Hyundai he's still with Hyundai obviously uh, and had a there was a monstrous race between him Elvin Evans and Sebastian Ogier both of those are for Toyota with Sebastian mm -hmm. Ogier just pipping Elfin on the last stage to get second. But whilst Elfin was, or Evans was clearly disappointed, which he would be mm -hmm. if he'd done so well. He'd done so well the rest but, of the race. He, the rest of the race, he's, he's got a, I hope he's had the chance to take a breath now and realize how well he had done. First time out in it, and he was going toe to toe with Ogier, who's you know, multiple WRC championship winner. You know, that's that's a cracking start because they, they mm -hmm. I mean, they, they don't know the car that well yet. Uh, and no. they were, well, well. those three were clearly ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now that the real big thing early on was that Octanic, who's driving for Hyundai, had a huge, huge accident massive it was like 10 seconds before well it looked bad from the in car footage and then from the out of car footage you realize they took out the top half of a tree yes and and they were okay yeah um, they just they got out the cars away. and they were okay there there was no they had no injuries i presume there's some sort of whiplash as a result just through the forces of Every all the angles that they spun through flipped over. I would imagine the they were they were pretty stiff the next yeah. morning. But he was yeah. he put out a video the next day saying hi. I'm in the I'm in the um, the works part here and I'm okay and thanks for all the support. Obviously not the way we wanted to start the season. It just it, it just congratulations to all the safety people involved. 
to yeah, to and all the engineers and everyone, the people who design it, the people who installed it, and made sure you know it, that's just a superb work, mm-hmm. superb work. The other surprise, really, of the race was how bad Loeb was. He was he yeah. was miles off the pace bef- even before he got to the point where his tires just went. They just mm-hmm. went, and he had a spin, and that put him from fourth down to six, but it, it did not look, you know, normally we're saying, look at that. He just jumps in the car and he's still got it. Imagine if he was doing the whole season and that was not the case this time. No, but the other thing that they, they do say early on uh, WRC events is you don't actually know what's going to happen in the season. You can't predict what's going to happen in the season until, um, until after Mexico. Hmm. Yeah, Mexico's a, Mexico's the big one. So right. Mexico is the big the the, the sort of tipping point. Uh, just can I quickly say dirtfish.com mm-hmm. is particularly good for this coverage. We have um, two articles linked in the show notes to their work. Mm. Um uh, didn't somebody suggest that to you? Yes, it was it was the sarcastic voiceover of um Project Binky, Mr. Richard Brunning. Thank you. Uh, who, who suggested that. Yes. Yes. This is this is a good find because God. we've been looking for WRC coverage, uh, similar excellence to the E three six five that we get for Formula yeah. E. So, something, so. Yes. So this seems to work very very well indeed. So yep. well done, folks. People mm-hmm. behind that, uh, you rock. Thank you. Yes. Take us to our lunchtime read, and it is a read this time. <laughs> We've given you many videos recently, but this is a read. Yes. It's not a very long read. It's it's from Petra Blog, and it's all about the Sainsbury's archive and some of the wonderful photos that it has of well, cars of our childhood, I guess, in the car parks as part of the Sainsbury's archive, which is part of the Museum of London now. Then they've they've been tweeting pictures and saying, "Oh, if you're interested in car parks and classic cars, then you should check our archive because there's some fantastic photos." And sure enough, there are. They've got five. They, they uploaded to their their archive five thousand images of supermarket car parks. And there's there's a lot of beige involved. There's quite a lot of brown involved. There are. Well, on this one here, I mean, I mean. Uh, Gav got got permission to include a, a few of their photos in the site, and there's Citroen GSs and Volvo One Four Fours, and as he points out, it's amazing how much the Matra Rancho stands out above all the saloons and hatchbacks, yes, and stuff. I've got to confess, Sain- yeah, I've got to confess, Sainsbury's played very little part in my childhood, given I grew up in the wrong part of the country where there, there weren't Sainsbury's in Scotland at the time. So, uh, so, so yeah, the Sainsbury's bit doesn't interest me too much, but the cars are kind of cool. Yep. And the people are kind of cool, and it's well worth a look through. Yes, well done, Major Gav. Well, Gav, and there's a link from Gav's article to the Sainsbury's archive website as well. So, yeah. Uh, so do have a click through, do read Gav's words, because Gav's words are always worth reading. They are. They are. Or listening to, or watching. Yes. <laughs> right, list of the week. Ooh. And this comes from Michael Doherty on MDoc Cars. And he's asked the question, what can you get sport coupe-wise for £3,000? 
Now, there is, uh, it's, it's a short list, and I think some of them you need to be braver than others if you're going yeah. to, to splash the cash in that direction. Um, but there's some, there's some really interesting choices here. I mean, of particular note is the Daihatsu Copen. I, I I always like seeing that in the list. <laughs> there was a picture. Did you see the picture? So some foot footballist or something turned up to to was turning up to training in a in a violently pink uh, Lamborghini Urus, and actually, all I looked at the picture and thought, "Oh, look, there's a yellow coping behind him." <laughs> it was far more interesting. No, well, I like talk, talking of yellow. The, the the first on the list is the Mazda RX-8 in yellow. This is an incredibly yeah. I don't know that I would ever do that. Uh, picture, but yeah, it, it I, looks I, like it's photoshopped by Mazda themselves. In all fairness, yes, I think I think that's come from their their stock library. The, the uh, thing the thing with the RX-8 right is that you buy a fifteen hundred pound RX-8 and you put £1,500 in a separate bank account for the inevitable time when you're going to have to take that engine to Rotechnics or an equivalent specialist <laughs> to to actually get it redone with new rotor tips and all these kind of things. And you'll have a wonderful time, but you don't spend much on the car, and you keep a similar amount in the bank as an insurance policy so that you can sort out the engine afterwards. Mm-hmm. But others that don't involve that much risk is stuff like the Toyota Celica. Yep. So you can get a decent one of those from about 1800 to 2000 pounds right at the minute. Yeah. I think the three, I think a three fifty Z under three, well, it's under what's the limit? Three grand. Three grand. Oh, I think a three fifty Z is going to be a wee bit ropey, but then on the other hand, you'll probably get a decent-ish Z4. Probably a small engine one. But, yeah. But yeah. And if you really want a rather rubbishy car, you can buy a Chrysler Crossfire. Or if you want a Mercedes with a different badge. <laughs> buy the Mercedes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> buy the Mercedes. You know, the only people I've ever met who've owned Chrysler Crossfires have been horrible people. <laughs> Tarring everyone who owns Crossfire. No, I'm only saying the only people I've ever the owners that I've met have been just nasty people that you don't want to spend any time with, you don't want to work with. So you know, not that I'm assuming that everyone who yes, actually desires the yes, hunk of cack. Okay, <laughs> but, I uh, probably yeah, click, am. Click through on the link and you can go through and decide which of the which of. Uh, the choices Michael has picked, you feel is suitable for you. So, mm-hmm. come on, Alan, take us to the and. Finally, are they oh. are they far away or are they small? They are very small. Okay, it's a link to the BBC news story, but of course, you can go straight to uh, Liam Kant's uh, Instagram uh, Instagram account, which is at little underscore Landrovers, where he. <laughs> He when he's out walking his dog, he he sort of recreates off-roading scenes with model Land Rovers, um, and good quality model Land Rovers. Yeah, they're one f- one in forty threes, aren't they? One forty three, which is pretty tiny, and yeah, he he recreates them, and and he's got water splashes and chickens and dirt stuff, and they're absolutely brilliant. Um, I've I've followed him. Well, the podcast now follows him on Instagram, so you probably see us liking quite a few of these. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 great. It's 
Yeah, he's even been featured on the BBC website, and rightly so. Yeah, it's really it's a, cool. Well, it's well a done, fab Liam. little. It's just I, 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 I thought it's such a fab. Uh, thanks to Carlton Boyce for retweeting this, by the way. Um, that's how mm. I picked it up. Well, I think it's just a fab little way of somebody expressing themselves artistically in a fun in a fun way, and goes to show what you can do with a. a is it? Is, he takes this with his smartphone, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what pictures you can take with the phone these days yeah and what you can do with pictures uh, the other th- the reason he started doing it was he used to he used to be a, an off-roader uh, and have land rovers and stuff but he discovered this was the models aren't cheap but they're cheaper than the real thing <laughs> which i think seems is pretty fair pretty good so no yeah. uh well worth a follow there guys and you'll see us liking well by us i mean we uh by us i mean me uh liking liking that liking those more uh as well mm-hmm. on instagram um yes that, that pretty much rounds up for this week uh parish notes you had a special edition out didn't you special edition came out on friday so it's the second part of my nurburgring 24 trip it's, it's the second and last part and yeah it's it's sort of I think I explained the other week, last week that I didn't quite manage to tell the story the way I wanted to tell the story, so we had to do it in two parts. The first of which was us talking about all the facts and background and the interviews. But as well as that, when I was there, I recorded many hours of stuff. So when I was on a plane the other week, I went through some of the many hours of stuff that I'd already sort of done a first triage through. I tried to piece it together to actually tell the story from being on the ground and how I could see it at the time. And, and, and there's quite a lot of a sort of someone walking through a campsite getting exhausted late in the evening and and, and sort of breathing heavily uh, into the the audio recorder for which I apologize but but I think it, it the idea of this one is that whilst we we didn't really give much atmosphere in the first part this second part hopefully has far more of that and and I enjoyed doing it and I think I, I learned quite a lot from it so some hybrid of the two is is probably going to be coverage of this kind of thing in the future yeah I think I think uh, it's been a an, job int- with the second one Thank you. That's um, for for when we keep talking about, or we we're always looking to, or we're trying to improve and put out slightly different stuff. It's along these lines is the sort of stuff we're trying to trying to go down the route of for some special mm-hmm. editions. It's to help you feel like you're there to get a real good grasp of the atmosphere and what it's what it's like to attend these these sort of events. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not able to get there yourself, so that's, that's also tempted to, to go there yourself as well. Yeah, in this one, that was very much a case of it. Yeah, I was going to say something, and I forgot what it was, so it can't have been that important. Yep. Anyway, uh, we round us up, I think, for this week. So don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, Don't forget about our Patreon and our merch, uh, all of which is available at motoringpodcast.com. And please, if your podcast player lets you do such a thing, uh, leave a rating and review. Oh, there have been a couple of new ratings, a couple of new reviews have been flagged up to us by the various systems, so thank you so much. Yes, uh, if you're someone you. who's left a review, uh, people are doing it. I don't just say this for no reason. Uh, people do it, uh, and it, it's brilliant, and it, it makes a, it makes a difference. It's, it's cracking. Yes, so thank you. Others, if your podcast app lets you do it, Apple Podcasts, for example, then that would be a genius. 
That was far too much waffle, but never mind. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you and say, don't worry, it wasn't too much waffle, what is the best way for them to do that personally? Uh, on Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B I E D L E Y. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>